Uh, this morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Good morning. Uh, it's great to see so many people out today who are coming together to, to be together to study God's Word, to sing some songs. Um, it's a dark time of the year, but it's nice to see so many people who want to uh, seek the light right now. So, uh, can we back that up a little bit? Um, one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is uh, <clears throat> we've been talking about West Side's favorite hymns, and uh, we've been talking about, I want to talk a little bit about how that happened, why that became something that was important to us. Um, me and uh, some other song leaders were sitting around and just kind of discussing how we can make worship even better for everyone that's involved. And the timeliness, I, I'm pretty sure it was uh, the beginning of September, so we were definitely feeling the loss of, in our congregation and maybe feeling an extra responsibility of, of what can we do? What can we do to help? What can we do to support? <clears throat> but there's always a responsibility in leading worship. And as you, you study that and study worship leading, it becomes clear to you that, that we are made to worship that God made human beings to worship. Uh, the scriptures explain that, and you also see that, that God, throughout history, if people weren't worshiping God, they're worshiping something else. And I would contend that today, if we're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something else. And it, it might not be Baals and Asheroths, but it is something. And so if we don't worship God here, if we don't do that thing that we were made to do, we're going to be more likely to seek to do it somewhere else. And as a worship leader, you want to help people do what they were meant to do and do it in the right way so that they can be filled up with, with that thing. They can have that sustenance and then go out into the world and not have that desire to seek that worship elsewhere. A worship leader cannot make someone turn their, their voice or their heart to God but they can feel the responsibility of being the best leader, the best conduit, the best servant to bring the hearts and the minds and the souls of the people together before the throne of God in praise. It also is something that, that ties us together. When we look at a song, a lot of what we see is tied to Scripture. But when you sing it, it becomes a very personal thing. But we're not singing a solo, we're singing it together. So we have this personal experience, but we are sharing in a personal experience. And, and it ties us together, it knits us together. 
And as a, a worship leader, you want to think about how you can best do that. And how, you certainly want to think about how you can, you don't want to be an obstacle towards people who are trying to come together and worship God. And I remember when we were, we were talking about this, and, and Kyle said, some songs just go better. What is that thing that makes a song go better? And what songs are they? And, and it occurred to us, hey, let's, let's ask. Because it becomes clear that some people just, a song strikes a chord with a group. Um, it, it just, and I say strike a chord, uh, use that idiom on purpose, because a chord is several notes all together. And something that strikes your heart and your mind and, and even your soul all together, it really resonates. If it's something that you understand, but also something that you've experienced and something that ties in emotionally, that's something that is very powerful. And those different songs can land and feel differently at different times. <clears throat> I wouldn't contend that our favorite hymns today would be the same as they would be in five years or ten years. I would say that they'd be close. But, but some things will move because of where we are right now. There was also this idea of, of if we can understand what songs people really resonate with, that will be something that we as leaders can um, help other people to worship, but it also is something that lets other people have their voice be heard. Um, the song leader thinks about what they can do to serve the group, but you often don't get a chance to say, this is the song that I want to hear, this is a song that I like. And so it was an opportunity for us to get to hear the group. And for me, I got to, to handle those, those, those sheets, and it was very moving to see what songs connect with individual hearts. It told me something that, about what you value. It told me something about your heart. It was very personal for you to turn those in, and, and it, it meant a lot for us to receive those. And, and uh, we, we honor that, and um, we wanted to make those available with those, those 50 favorites. And we also had the idea of, of taking these sort of the most favorite songs and preaching about them and kind of unpacking these things. But I wanted to, to take just a moment and, and look at the numbers. Um, and it, would you check and see if that's on the right um, computer? I'm not getting it. That, that note there, love so mighty and so true merits my soul's best song. That's a, a line from Love Lifted Me. And it, Kyle caught that because it's it just something, God is so good, his love is so mighty and he is so true that the natural response is my soul's best song. That's kind of our theme for what we're looking at here. Um, we had 74% uh, of our members turn in uh, sheets. I thought that was really good. There was 764 votes uh, for songs. I, I say votes, but that's, that's kind of what it is. There are about over 850 songs that you had to choose from. But all of the votes, those 764 votes, were for 282 songs. So there's a lot of... So, uh, of all the songs that could be chosen, there was a certain few that really are people's favorites. But I thought also, you know, you may, not everyone gets as excited about numbers as I do, but 82 of those percents uh, of those votes landed on 144 songs. And, and, and let me just tell you as a song leader that those songs, those 144 songs, and, and even all of them are, are a treasure to me, to know uh, what it is that, that is meaningful to, to my family here. 
Uh, but I also thought it was very interesting, 49, half of the votes landed on just 50 songs of all the songs that we had available of those 50 songs. And that's that, that West Side's favorites that we have on the sheet out there that are West Side's 50 favorite songs. And, and, and if you haven't picked them up, I don't know if you can read that, but that's, that's all of them, is these 50 songs that we love to sing. Uh, all of these songs got, got five or more votes. Um, but of, of all the songs, you know, that might not seem that many, but there's five people here that that just moves them deeply. It's one of their top favorite. It doesn't mean that there aren't other people who it's not a song that they enjoy, but it's not their most favorite. But, but of all these songs, some people just, it moves them, and it, it's powerful. But also, 18%, so almost one-fifth of all the votes were for 12 songs. And so again, we thought it would be nice to take these top songs and, and kind of unpack them, to preach about them, to find out what it is that we connect with in that song, to find the scriptures that it ties to, and to be uplifted by that song in, in the sermon, but also perhaps to learn to love that song even more. And there were two songs uh, that received the same number of votes, so they're kind of tied for 11th place. And, and one of those songs is For You Have Promised. And this song must have struck a chord with our group here because I don't think that we have, we've sung it very long or, or even really very regularly, yet a lot of our members called it a favorite. And again, that term struck a chord is something in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, we are told to sing and make melody with your heart to the Lord. It's kind of interesting. I, I'm not a... I'm not that clever about going back into word studies, but I, I came across an understanding. Singing means singing, but to make melody in your hearts, the, the word here is actually to pluck your heart. It's to play your heart as if it's an instrument. That when you sing, you're meant to do it with your heart, and you're meant to touch it. You're meant to move it. You're meant to make it resonate. And I think... It's a resonance that we have with the scripture and even with, with God himself. So let's look at uh, some of the words to this song. Verse 1 says, O Father, draw me close to you. Calm now my spirit, peace renew. And yes, I know you hear, for you are near. For you have promised, and I believe. I lift my hand to reach your face, find in your arms a hiding place to be enfolded there within your care, for you have promised, and I believe. I speak your name into the night, seek through the pain your healing light, and then I will not fear, for you are here, for you have promised, and I believe. Secure my heart, Lord, as I kneel, make sure my trust, my all I yield, then I'll be one with you in all I do, for you have promised, and I believe. The chorus says, then I will praise your name forever. I'll give you thanks and magnify your loving favor. And I will tell of your salvation, for all your promises are true, and I believe. I think just looking at the words, we understand that they have meaning. But those words aren't just words that rhyme well. They're, they're not just words that... Um, you know, sound good. Uh, the author of the, the song who wrote the, the music and the words, Glenda Shales, 
you'll see that she ties a lot of her lyrics in very deeply and or almost directly from a lot of scripture. Uh, she li- relies heavily on the Psalms and um, a lot of the songs that we love to sing are from her and partly because uh, she uses words from the scripture. Um, all of the melodies she writes, I think that's just a special gift that she has. But there's this stream of understanding. Maybe the thesis for this song is, for you have promised and I believe. The interesting thing about this, there's four verses, and I noticed these in, in the really good songs. Some songs, um, they, 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 they make a point, and then there's a separate one, and it kind of enumerates a similar idea, but a different way. And then you look at a, an idea from different perspectives. I really like the songs that, that tell a story. Um, they, they progress. Um, Hallelujah, praise Jehovah is one. You know, a lot of those you'll come to your mind where they tell this story. Um, you know, it, it is well with my soul. Um, These the songs where the, 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 the different verses can be sung differently because they have a different feeling, because they are going through uh, an occurrence. And you don't necessarily know when you're singing a, so, a story that that's what it is. But you've experienced it, kind of like when you're watching a movie or you know, reading a book. You don't necessarily know what, what act you're in. You don't know which trope or archetype it's fulfilling. You don't know if it's, if, you know, it's a, a hero's journey or a tragedy, but you experience that. And I think you've experienced the story of this song. In verse 1 it says, draw me close to you, then I will receive peace. So it's, it's calling out, God, draw me. It's kind of giving God the action. I want you to draw me and give me peace. Verse 2 says, I lift my hand, so I begin to reach out for you, and then I will receive protection. Verse 3 says, now I speak your name. I speak your name into the night, and I will receive healing. And then in verse 4 it says, I kneel, and I offer my heart. And then the gift you receive in response is that you become one with you in all that I do. So there's this progression of of somebody who is, first, I want God to draw me to him and give me some peace. Then I, I will make some effort and I see that he has protected me. And then I will speak his name. I will make it very personal. I will make a connection to him. And then I receive a, a, the gift of healing. Then finally I kneel, I surrender to him, and I receive the ultimate gift, the one that he longs for and that we should long for of becoming one with him. And the chorus kind of speaks to the fact that with each step closer to God, we recognize him, and then we praise him, we magnify him, we tell of him, and then we take another step, we sing another verse. And this, the term is, in, in the chorus, I will magnify your loving favor. And magnify, when it's used in the scriptures, it's not like we use it now. We think of a magnification as make something to look bigger, make something appear bigger. But when it's in the Psalms, and when in some of our songs, they tend to use in some of its old meaning, to magnify means actually to make bigger. So like uh, the, the psalm, magnify, oh magnify. It's not saying, look bigger, look bigger. <laughs> It's saying, be bigger in my life. Be bigger in my life. Let me make you bigger in my life. And that's part of what it's saying here. Let me magnify your love and favor. Let me recognize it. Let me tell of it. 
So this story is something that hopefully you've experienced. To me, I, I came across this in my studies, is that there's, I call it the circle of faith. <laughs> um, for you have promised, and in this case it's for you have promised, then I believe, and then I see that your promises are true, so I believe. The circle of faith that I've studied is, is something that you see with, for example, Abraham. God called out to Abraham, and Abraham stepped out in faith. God revealed something to him, he made a promise, and Abraham acted on it. Was Abraham's faith perfect? It was not. We saw that his faith failed in many times, but he took a step, right? But then as he stepped out in faith, he saw that God's promises were true, that God said those things, and that God was there for him, that God was someone that he could count on, and that even though he didn't understand, it didn't make sense for him to leave the place of comfort and go out on this grand adventure. It didn't make sense to him, but he said, I'm going to believe. It wasn't blind faith, but it is a faith that goes against your proclivities, what you would expect. He stepped out into the unknown, into the wilderness, into the darkness, standing on the promises. And I thank Kyle for, for leading those songs that tie into this blessed assurance, standing on the promises, that, that faith is the victory. And this understanding that um, God's promises have a lot of effect in our life. That Abraham stepped out into that faith and then was rewarded for it. Not just by God's love, but by understanding that his faith was good. And then he could take the next step and take the next step and take the next step. And that's part of how God builds faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but it doesn't end there. It, it, it continues as we step in faith. And this song illustrates that. For you have promised and I believe. And so I act and I get to see and I get to believe even more. So the name of the song, For You Have Promised, um, oh, but let me finish that thought, is this word is how each uh, verse ends. For you have promised, and I believe. And a bit of a, you know, the, the musical element here to notice, there's a little bit of, you see that comma up there? It's, it's like a comma. Uh, in music, it's, a, it's, a, it's called a breath mark. It's just something where you take a breath. And when, when Glenda put this together, she understood, um, she's written a lot of songs, and understands the toolbox of how we interact with music. And what it's saying here is, is just, is, it's showing essentially this breath mark. It tells the singer to pause, for you have promised, and I believe. That just shows us as we sing it, that dynamically this is, uh, that, that our natural belief to him is a response to his promises. We are not alone in our belief. We are not something that, that we just believe, some idea that we understand that we have in our, our mind. It's for you have promised, and I believe. And that's how that's meant to be sung. It's just a recognition of his goodness, his promises, and our natural response to them. I want to take a look at um, some of the ideas here and tie them to some scriptures to show, again, that these ideas aren't just some beautiful lyrics. They are something that, that tie very specifically to God's word. God's promises are how he builds relationships. We talked about Abraham. Um, he renewed those promises with Isaac and Jacob. 
And when God sent Moses, he made them a promise. That was a scripture reading, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. He said, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the hard labors of the Egyptians, so I will rescue you. He says, I will deliver you from their slavery. I will give you freedom. I will also redeem you with an outstretched hand and with great judgments. So he's going to show his power. He's going to make sacrifice and he's going to pay a price to give them a purpose. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. So he's, going, he's promising a relationship that with the almighty God, with the eternal Yahweh, he who is and always will be, with all that entails. He didn't begin, and this is when, before Moses even goes to them, he says, Moses, this is what you're going to tell them. You make promises on my behalf that I am going to rescue them. I am going to give them freedom. I am going to redeem them. I am going to build a relationship with them. And then as they go out into the wilderness, they are called upon specifically and individually to choose the covenant. Uh, a few times in the, those first 12 chapters of Exodus, uh, or, or after Exodus 6, where they are moving out into the wilderness and they're already having some struggles, they, they get the opportunity to buy in. They choose. Because God, when he called them out, he didn't call them out to, to have to follow him. He called them out to worship him. He says, I want you, you are no longer slaves. You were slaves. You know how that worked. I want you to choose me. So here are my promises. Let's have a relationship. That's how God builds relationships. So when he says he has promised, it's a very important thing. Um, <clears throat> He offered to Israel after leaving Egypt. Then when Israel rejected God, he made promises of the Messiah. And those promises came true. And God also has promises for us. There's not just the stories of the Bible, but what we get to experience. In verse 1, we see, Oh, Father, draw me close to you. I'm going to read a few scriptures, and I, uh, I'm going to move along at a little bit of a pace because I want to be able to cover some of these. Um, and... Uh, and uh, you know, be able to, to look at a number of these, and so we're going to move a bit. In, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Then I said, How would I set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of the nations? And I said, You shall call me my father and not turn away from following me. God said, You are going to call me my father. That's something that he sought for, that he earnestly wants us to say, Oh, Father. John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. But it says that that is a symbol and an understanding of his love. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. So when we call on him and say, O Father, it is a demonstration of his love. Many times in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7, and other times, Jesus described to him, he says, and your father who sees you in secret, your father feeds them. Your father will give you good things. He is calling on these people to accept him as their father. That's who he earnestly desires to be. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6 says, Thus do you repay the Lord of foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you. So as his father, he doesn't just love you. 
he has also done things for you. He has made you. He has established you. He has given you a place to stand. One more in Isaiah chapter 64, it says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. You are the clay and you are our potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. These things show that God has made us. He seeks a relationship, but he will also provide good things. He, he, he sets an example for us. Then it says, O Father, draw me close to you. And, you know, I mentioned that this, this might seem like the beginning of the journey. Is that an immature thing? No, this is what God chose to do. In John chapter 12, verse 32, Christ speaking, he said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He's not referring to his return to heaven that we read about in Acts chapter 1. He is referring to being lifted up on the cross. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This is what God wants to do. He wants to draw us to him. He gave his son. He paid a price and put him up so that all could see and said, I want to draw you to me. That is what he wanted to do. And something that we can recognize. And it's something that we can take hold of. Father, draw me close to you. And then we can act on that. In Psalm verse 34, verse 18, it says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So God wants to be near us. He wants to be next to us. We see that in the way that he interacts with his people, how he chose to be amongst them in the tabernacle and in the temple, and how he wants to be among us now. When two or more are gathered is not a, a, a rule of thumb about uh, wh where he is and what he is. It, it's not, oh, is he here? Is he not here? The point is that he is here, that when we gather, he wants to be present among us. In James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So he has made the first move, but he wants us to draw near to him. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And lastly, Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all those who call upon him, and to all who call upon him in truth. So when we say, draw me close to you, that's what he wants to hear. He wants to respond to that by, in fact, drawing us near to him. Calm now my spirit, peace renew. And I won't necessarily go every phrase throughout the whole song, but in the first verse, it kind of lays down the foundation here. Calm now my spirit, peace renew. To renew peace means that peace is gone. And you have lived... Maybe the longer you've lived, the more that you've seen that there are things that are going to try to take your peace away, that are going to take your comfort away. But peace can always be found in him. John chapter 16, verse 31, Jesus answered and said to them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And we are in the world and we are going to have tribulation. Our peace will be shaken, our peace may be taken. Our peace may be snapped away in a moment. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. 
He wants us to have peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God wants us to have peace, but he needs us to accept that peace, to reach out for that peace. And I hope that you've experienced this specific peace when you are low and confused and disoriented and you feel like the ground you're standing on is shaking, that you ask God for peace, that you do what it describes here. By prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When you experience that, it's something that goes beyond your understanding. And you know that that's something that God earnestly desires for you. He wants you to have peace. And yes, I know you hear, for you are near. Psalm 34, verse 17 and 18 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is always there. He always wants to be reached out to. One of the reasons God is near the brokenhearted is because they're looking for him. You know, when, when you're having your moments of victory and your moments of peace and your moments of abundance, maybe it's not always that you look to God. And hopefully we do. Hopefully we give him our thanks. But the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them from their troubles. But the Lord is near the brokenhearted because we want him to be. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And yes, I know you hear, for you are near. He is not a distant God. He is not beyond the heavens. He is not beyond the clouds. For the people who have chosen him, he is amongst us. Not just here when we gather, but every time we can reach out to him. We are one prayer away from communion with God. We are one scripture away from communion with God. We are one verse of one song saying together or by ourselves from communion with God. That when you work, that when you drive, when whatever you do, you can say, Oh, Father, draw me close to you. Calm now my spirit, peace renew. And yes, I know you hear, for you are near. For you are promised, and I believe. And then you're connected with God because he is near, and he wants that for us. In verse 2, it says, I lift my hand to reach your face. And this is something that comes up a lot in Scripture, actually. If you look up scriptures that talk about lifting your hand. It's an idea of response to God. And it is always something that is directed. In Psalm 134, verse 2, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. It is not a power pose, you know, look at me, right? It is lifting your hand to God, receiving what he has for us. This is something that that you can do physically, but it's something that is What he's talking about here is to lift up my hand to reach towards you. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We read in Lamentations, verse 3. And in Psalm 28, it says, Hear the voice of the pleas of my mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary, that we reach for him, and he reaches back for us. I find in your arms a hiding place. In Psalm, verse 32, in a number of Psalms, I kept finding this. The Psalms are full of this, but a couple of places say, You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. You are my hiding place and my shield. I wait for your word. That if we reach out to him, 
that he wants to give us peace, that he wants to preserve us, that he wants to help us to hide, even for a moment, for the cares and troubles of this world, to be enfolded there with your care. He has promised us this thing, so let us believe it. Then we, we sing, I speak your name into the night. And, you know, songs are great with their, their metaphors, but I think speaking or, or, or the, the idea of into the night doesn't need a lot of explanation, other than it reminded me of uh, being a child and being afraid of the dark. And I think that that was something that probably we've all experienced. And what's scary about the dark? There's nothing there. <laughs> you know, you're, maybe your imagination runs wild, but you don't see something scary there. The dark is, is the unknown. And the unknown is scary. Even now, when I think of the unknown, it's not the things that are physical, but there are things that are unknown in my life that I worry about, and they can make me afraid to this very moment. But also, it's something that comes and goes the night, that the day comes, but there are moments of, of darkness, moments where I cannot see, moments where I don't know. But here we can speak your name. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9 says, They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, They are my people, and they will say, The Lord is my God. A number of times in the Old Testament, this was described to call upon the Lord, and that he would respond by being theirs. Um, and then many times we see in the New Testament, they will be saved, those that call upon the name of the Lord. It's specifically tied to our salvation. But it's not something that we should do once, like we read in Acts chapter 2. It's something that we're meant to do again and again, to speak your name, to let his power overwhelm the darkness. And it shows what that night is, because we seek him through the pain. But what we are seeking is your healing light. Isaiah chapter 58 says, Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly reappear, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. This was a time of great darkness when Isaiah was speaking to the Israelites. They were a people under condemnation. But he was telling them that there will be a time that light will break forth like the dawn. The night will be over. And he was referring to his son. And your healing will quickly appear. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The light has something that is great power. It is something that is something that has healed us of our sins, but it's something that is meant to continue to heal us. As we pursue him, he is the means of continual healing. And the contrast there is that there is a wound, there is pain, and that something is broken. And that's not a new idea. The name Josiah actually means God heals. It means Yahweh supports and heals. Even in the Old Testament, God was trying to say that you will have hard times, but I want to make you whole. It's interesting that God cannot make you whole without that wound, and so that wound serves a purpose when it's something that shows us that God can heal. 
And then I will not fear, for you are here, for you have promised and I believe. Fear is what's called a primary emotion. It's something that you experience without thought. It's something that um, you don't get to wrestle with immediately. It's just something that you feel. So it's not wrong, certainly, to feel fear, but the injunction that we get from Scripture is not to stay there. We have a remedy. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you, and be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The antidote to fear is trust. We may experience that fear, but then I need not stay in fear, for you are near. And you have promised, and I believe. The last verse that's very powerful here says, Secure my heart, Lord, as I kneel. Make sure my trust, my all I yield. Then I'll be one with you in all I do. One verse on this, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 says, Paul speaking here, For this reason, and the reason is he's demonstrated all that God has done for him. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. This isn't a call, you know, in Calvinists there's an idea that, that God takes over, that he uh, is irresistible grace. The very fact that we're singing this says that, God, I want you to do this. I am an active participant. Please secure my heart. And the means by that is that I kneel. In that scripture from Paul, he said, I bow my knees so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith so that I may be filled up with the fullness of God. We can't have God in our heart if it's full of other things. We cannot be filled with the fullness of God if we, have, if we guide our own steps, if we look for everything else that, that might satisfy us and fulfill us. But when we finally surrender, when we bow my knees, then he will secure our heart and then we get to look forward to being one with him in all that we do. And the chorus just sings, then I will praise your name forever. And what else could we do? looking at what he has done for us, looking at who he is, then I will praise your name forever. I'll give you thanks and magnify your loving favor. And I will tell of your salvation. For all your promises are true and I believe. This is the natural response to his goodness. And so what we're going to do next is we're going to sing the song. And I know that it's something that, that you have... Um, something that, that, that you have thought about because you've sung it. And hopefully we're always singing with our understanding and our heart. But hopefully we're taking a moment to reflect upon it. And be worthy for us to think about this song as we sing it. So let's, let's sing um, For You Have Promised. Father, draw me close to you. 
Thank you for singing with me. Uh, <clears throat> the last thing I would say before we conclude this sermon is his promises are true. And I'd ask you, brothers and sisters, do you believe? And that's something that we have answered a question in our life, hopefully, if we've received a salvation. Yes, I believe. I confess your name. I repent. I want to be baptized. I want to live after you. But do we let those acts continue to have their place in our life? Do we continue to confess his name, to call upon him? Do we continue to repent of our sin? Or do we let the cares and troubles and the tribulations of this world hamper us? Because Christ has overcome the world, and he wants to give us victory in our everyday lives. His victory was not just in our, our one salvation. It is in our everyday life. And I'd ask you, brothers and sisters, do we live a life of faith? Do we live a life of belief? I hope that we do. And if you have been overwhelmed by it, then we'd love to give you our strength and support. And if you have not done those initial steps of receiving the gift of salvation, then take a moment. Think about what it means to know that there is a God who has thought about you from before time began who sent his son, who lifted him up that he might draw you to him. We'd love to discuss more about the acts of salvation or how we can help lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Come forward now while we stand and sing the song of invitation.